That is indeed good news that uh, no matter what the uh, no matter what human hands might do to try to uh, circumvent to sidetrack uh, to to lead in in wrong ways God's hands in building his church will prevail even against the gates of hell and uh, it does do want to take just a, a moment to speak uh, to the, the, the work of God's church that we call the Presbyterian Church uh, USA. And, and for those of you that, that follow along with the, the work of General Assembly, um, this is uh, probably could just be, could play a tape from the last, from every year about this time in the last 20 years. Um, because basically, almost every time we've said the same thing, there are good things that our church of, um, uh, affirms, and there are some things that we vehemently disagree with that our General Assembly, when Presbyterians from around the country gather for what is now a uh, biannual gathering every two years. And if you read the newspaper, you would think the only thing they're there to discuss is sex, um, because that's what I mean, it's what sells, it's what makes headlines, it's, uh, and it's what is, you know, the, as we talked about a few weeks ago, when we invited Jesus into the bedroom. It's one of the things that is uh, a, uh, a hot topic for our day. And just want to uh, affirm a couple things and remind you of a couple things. One, when the, the General Assembly gathers to act, um, Oftentimes, the things that they do then have to be approved by the, the church at large, by presbyteries, which are smaller gatherings. There's 173 presbyteries under one general assembly in our nation for the Presbyterian church. And what they have to affirm then has to be um, a, uh, approved by a majority vote of all the presbyteries. And the one thing that continues to come up is the issue around sexuality, particularly around active practicing homosexuals being allowed to be in leadership positions of the church. In other words, saying that um, what the church historically has taught, that God's wondrous gift of sexuality is to be enjoyed in the, the safe confines of uh, marriage, a committed relationship between a man and a woman, going, expanding that understanding of sexuality, some might say, to say that also should be included in a committed relationship between those who are of the same gender. And that's, again, being presented out of the General Assembly to be approved by the presbyteries and has happened throughout the 20 years. Again, this is sort of the tape. It comes out of General Assembly and then is um, uh, not affirmed by the presbyteries. So the, the work of the church continues in the course of this year and we will in our Cincinnati Presbytery continue to affirm what we understand to be God's word and truth for the, the wondrous expression and celebration of God's gift of sexuality in its appropriate context. Um, and we will do so in ways that are characterized by love, in ways that are characterized by a gentleness 
Because it's only God's gentleness that leads to repentance. So, just want to speak to that. There are other things that, that come out of General Assembly that are grand and great and, 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 and wondrous in terms of our continued mission around the world. And there are other things with which even we might disagree among ourselves that, uh, that come out. So, but did want to, to speak to that and just to say that we affirm no matter what we do. You know, there was a hundred year period of time even where the, the church taught that Jesus really wasn't fully God. Do you realize that? It was in the first 500, 600 years of the church existence that some of the official teaching of the church taught that. And, and God continued to build His church even in the face of that false teaching. So the, the church of Jesus Christ will continue and will not, will not fail. If, if it's against, as we'll read in a minute, against the very gates of hell, then there's certainly nothing that we can do in our own limited abilities to stop God from continuing to build His church. So, just wanted to, to, to speak to that for a moment and let you know that we as a church and the session are continued to, to uh, affirm what God teaches in His Scriptures and what we will continue to do in the work of the, the church um, in our denomination here in our presbytery around the nation and around the world. Now, moving more into the specific church and the work of the church, you know, it's easy in these kind of times, dealing with those kind of issues and others, for the church to become defensive. And, and what we hear a lot from people, what I, I hear from those around me and um, my, my neighbors even, uh, who uh, say, you know, what I know about the church is I know what they're against. I don't know what they're for. They, they understand and see the church as a defensive, in a defensive position. You know, behind, the, the church has circled its wagons. The church has built big walls and is hiding safely behind them. Well, as we read this passage, the, the picture that comes to my mind of church is as a, and maybe it's because, as I've shared with you before, it's familiar to me, it's the position of an offensive lineman on a football team, an American football team. My father-in-law came to watch me play when I was uh, in high school. And after the game, that was his quote to me, you know, you're low and offensive. Because that's what an offensive lineman is. You know, you, you, you get down in your stance, your feet are shoulder width apart, and then you come down, and then you want to get as low as you can so that you can fire off the line. And push who's ever in your way, out of the way. You want to be low and offensive. And as we read this passage, that's the position that the church of Jesus Christ is to be in. Low and offensive. Let's, uh, let's pray together as we, before we read the, the scriptures. Uh, our passage is from the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, starting with verse 13 through verse 20. It's found on page 798 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. Let's pray. 
Gracious God, we thank you for your written word. We thank you for what you teach us, how you lead us. Fill us now as we we gather around your word so that we might get on board with what you are doing. That that we might, uh, in the fullness of faith and trust in you, carry out the good works, sharing the good news that you've called us to. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matthew 16, starting with verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be low and offensive. And the the first part of this passage is Jesus affirming that Peter is low. What we mean by low is that you have a solid foundation. You're, you're, You're close to the ground so that you're able to have leverage over anything that may oppose you. Leverage over any opponent. In a sense, a low center of gravity. And for us, as the church of Jesus Christ, the the center of gravity is this essential declaration of Peter that Jesus says he didn't figure it out on his own, but was revealed to him. And that is the identity of Jesus. This is the central the essential, ground zero, if you will, of the church of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. Some of you may be asking, many of you, what exactly does that mean? What does the word Messiah mean? and, And you combine Messiah with Son of God. It's God in human form to lead us. God in human form to lead us to our rescue and the rescue of the world. That's who Jesus is. And that's what Peter is affirming right there is the central, the ground zero affirmation of the church of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God in human form come down to lead us in God's rescue operation. And he's, he's speaking using language that any of his hearers in that day would have connected to, to the, the events of Abraham and Moses and David, if you remember some of those events in the Old Testament. If you, if you haven't read it, go, go watch the movie, um, Ten Commandments. That'll give you a good one. 
Charlton Heston does a great Moses. It's a great story of, of God coming down, choosing one, an anointed one, one who is as like the Messiah to then rescue his people out of slavery and lead them into the promised land in order to bless the whole world. Or like David, who is then the one sent as the king, called forth, anointed by God, chosen by God to be the king to lead God's people as they lived in the promised land, to be a blessing for the world. That is who Jesus is, the the ultimate one. God didn't just choose one, but God became human in order to lead us out of slavery, sin, and death into the promised land of love and life to the full. That's, That's the central affirmation of the church the ground zero, the, the low center of gravity. You know, the, the lower the, your center of gravity, the, the, the less likely you are to be, be knocked over, to fall over, to slip and fall, or, to, or to, to veer from the straight path of God. The more central this truth is of ours, that ground zero, then we... Participate. We are then the church that God is building. Interesting here that um, then Jesus almost responds with, with, a, with a shout, with a, a celebration. And it tells Peter, this is not by human ingenuity that this happened. This is not by human reasoning, but this is the work of God that he has showed himself to you. And I had to wonder as I read that, Gosh, you know, I, I didn't share that surprise. I almost, you know, because I've read the passage so much and, and we've, you know, this is such a common statement, we forget just how radical Jesus was and is. We forget just how all-encompassing this affirmation that Jesus is the boss. Jesus is king. Jesus is our leader. We forget just how all-encompassing that is and just how radical a statement it is when we stand up and say, Jesus is Lord of all of life. And just all that it meant for Peter to make that affirmation. All that he was denying and all that he was affirming. It's, it's not just a simple mental ascent, but it is a call to die. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a Christian in Germany during, before and during World War II, when Jesus calls us, He calls us to die. We die to ourselves. We die to everything that we are so that we might live in Christ. He calls us to a sacrificial service in His name of all of our lives. As I was just meditating on that, thinking about trying to get beyond you know, how easy it is that we can, can be inoculated with Jesus, you know, that we, we get just enough Jesus you know, that we really don't catch Him fully. You know, we get just, just enough to sort of have our fire insurance and... To, to be 
to, to feel like we're, you know, we, we know we're, where we're going when we die. But not enough to really radically change the way we live. I was, you know, it's, it's hard to get through that, but as I was thinking about that, I thought about friends and colleagues in ministry who've, who've demonstrated that to me. And I thought about Marcia and her family who moved into a challenging, fragile neighborhood in Jackson, Mississippi, about 30 years ago. Called by God to go there. To following the way of Jesus, who left the comfortable confines of heaven in order to come among us in order to die and be raised to life so as to rescue us. I mean, Marcia and her family, husband, were called into that, that place grounded with a low center of gravity in Jesus, that Jesus was Lord. He was the boss of their lives. And after being there about a year and a half, Phil, her husband, was away at a church retreat. And a man broke into her home, raided her bedroom, and there they fought as he tried to violate her in her own bedroom. And the, the, the horror and terror of that event, and by the grace of God, was somehow able to fend him off without waking the two small children in the bedroom down the hall. And as upon his leaving, you know, she was broken and shattered. Called her husband, called some other church friends that lived, and neighbors and those that were near her. But in the midst of that time, she says, Marcia says, she continues. She continued in that time to see the face of Jesus in the place of the face of that man. Because she was grounded, because her center of gravity was so low, even such a drastic attempt of the enemy was not going to stop her and her family from following Jesus to what Jesus is calling her to do. That's, that's the, the nature of the, the radical call that Peter was affirming and that each of us affirm when we say Jesus is Lord. That, that we're willing to follow Him wherever He leads us and no matter what the opponents around us might do or might try to do. Now, lest we all say, well, then I'm not part of this team. <laughs> I'm not qualified because I can't do what Marcia did. Let, let me bring you back here that, that we don't all have to be there right now. We don't all have to affirm that Jesus is Lord and mean it with everything that we are because I'm willing to bet that none of us are there. Peter wasn't. And look, Peter is the first one to give the clearest affirmation of, the, of Jesus' divinity and his mission. And he was clear there and Jesus was affirming him. He, he was, and this is the work of God revealing this to you. But what happened in Peter's life after this affirmation? I mean, he was talking roller coaster ride and, and a crash. 
If you don't remember, if you haven't heard those events at the cross, when Jesus was taken to the cross, Peter was, was there at the foot of the cross and there in eyesight and ear sound of his Lord and Savior denied him three times to his face as people around him said, hey, weren't you one of his buddies? Weren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said three times, no, I don't know the guy. That makes the wideness of God's mercy evident. I mean, here is Peter, the very one that Jesus says is upon you, upon your declaration, the very foundation of the church, of my church, of my people throughout all of history will be built. And he's the very one who denied Jesus to his face three times. Is there any doubt? that the church of Jesus Christ is built by the hands of God and not the hands of men and women. Because the very one who is the foundation denied Him, failed. Just a few chapters after this one. No, it is not necessary that we get to the point of Marcia today or to the point where Peter eventually gets. Because eventually we're told that that Peter doesn't deny Jesus. And as he continues to preach the good news and and take the good news around in his communities and around the world at his times, we're told he is eventually caught by the authorities and crucified. Except Peter refused, or his request was that he not be crucified like Jesus because he wasn't worthy. And so the story is that he was crucified upside down. So the point, the question isn't, are we like Marcia and Peter today, but are we moving in their direction? Are we, are we in line with them in the same flow with them? That we are affirming with our whole self what is the central, the ground zero of the church, that we are low, centered in Jesus and the very radical nature of what it means for Him to be Lord and Savior of our lives. We, as a people, might be a church without walls, but in order to be a church without walls, we've got to have a solid foundation. And so that's why this fall, uh, based on, on that reality, based on the, the revealed, the spiritual inventory that we took, we, we recognize that we need to continually be building, rebuilding that foundation. We need to be gathering together in groups and classes and experiences where we are centered in Jesus through His written Word. And so as you've been reading and hearing from others, come September, uh, during the hour between the services... We'll be continually building and strengthening the foundation that Jesus has laid here as a church so that we might continue to be growing and deepening in our faith and strength in Him so that we might be indeed a church without walls. We must be low have a low center of gravity, a solid foundation. And then the second, be offensive. Be be offensive in intentionally following Jesus on His mission to the world. 
intentionally following Jesus on his mission to the world to be offensive, on the offense, on, on the attack. What Jesus tells to Peter, after Peter has made this central affirmation, is that Jesus promises to build his church through Peter and Peter's declaration. Now, some people, theologians, like to argue, does, 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 is Jesus saying he's going to build his church on Peter the person, or is he saying he's going to build his church on what Peter says? I don't know why we argue about those things and why we can't say both. Both together. It's not, obviously, it's not just the person. It's not just Peter because we see how Peter fails later on and we recognize in the beginning of, or the middle of the book of Acts, Peter was not the leader of the church, but James was. But it's certainly that Peter being a great model of failure, of grace, and then faithfulness in the midst of our failure. So it's not just the person, and it's not just the words. It's not just the disembodied words or some spiritual truth, but it is a truth lived out. In his life and the life of the disciples, it is a truth who is followed. And because then it's the one where Jesus noticed the subject of the sentence in here. It's Jesus who builds the church, not Peter. It's upon Peter. It's upon what Peter says as that central declaration. And so therefore, as we are offensive, as Jesus is building the church, one of our great offensive weapons, and Paul says the same same thing at the end of Ephesians, is prayer. We are interacting, we are participating with Jesus directly as we pray. We are participating in his work of building the church. It is a way that we are offensive in the work of Jesus. Why we have prayer times on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, in between the services, after the service. Listen in your bulletin. Wednesday morning from 8 to 9, while we join with other churches in the community on Monday night, 6 to 7, is simply some of the organized times of prayer. But if Jesus is the one building the church. And one of the great offensive weapons of the church is prayer. So Jesus is going to build his church on Peter and on Peter's declaration and on those followers that come after him. And what he then affirms is that Jesus' followers in this world will not be defeated. the, the, The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Those who come after Peter and share in that central affirmation are the church. And as they go forward, as they go out, as they are offensive, no matter what happens, they will not be defeated in him. This is the great picture to me that really turned things on their head to say this is why the church is to be seen as an offensive lineman. Because the, the metaphor that Jesus is setting up, the picture is that it's the gates of hell. Well, gates are defensive. Right? We build gates in order to keep people out and keep people in to, to separate. Well, what Jesus' picture is, no, that his followers aren't, don't live in a gate. They don't live in a gated community. 
It's the work of the devil that live in the gated community. And the work of Jesus is so offensive that it's battering down the gates of hell. And those gates will not stand against it. That's why then we have ministries that reach out in in every way that we can. That that we continue to to develop and pursue these ministries and others. It's why we we have a block party in a couple weeks trying to to gather and uh, encourage us to be a part and mingle with those in in the community and uh, beyond that are around us. Opening doors for God's space. And as we heard last year, one who came to the, the block party, Janice Long, is one who then that opened her up to then become back up, opened her back up to connecting with Jesus and opened her to then connect with us to be a part of his team. How many more? How many more through ministries like Feast of Love that we'll hear about in a moment? Treehouse, whiz kids, youth impact, teen impact, ways that, that we are trying to be offensive, getting out into the, the community, sharing the good works and the good news of Jesus. We, we go out with backyard Bible camps because we we don't want to to just tell the story here we want to tell the story out there so that others might hear and respond Jesus followers also share in the authority of heaven this may be the most amazing statement that Jesus says here that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That that we share in the very authority and power of heaven. The the work that we do of, of communicating, of sharing Jesus' good works and good news so that others come to follow him have eternal heavenly impact. Just got a, a note from Tony Buxel, who's the youth minister with some youth in, in Budapest, Hungary. And if you remember, a, a group went last year to, to start sort of a vacation Bible school there. And this year, a group went to help the church there. And, and he was telling me about Vera. And Vera was a, a woman who brought her daughter to the camp last year. And, but every day that she, brought her, she came, brought her daughter, she came earlier and earlier, connecting with, talking with some of the leaders and started participating in the church. And today is a leader in this vacation Bible school um, day camp that they're, they're hosting. I mean, from just that year, the authority of heaven has worked in Vera's life. And the church there, and, and we get to participate in that. For the church to be low and offensive, then, it means we're intentional. We are intentional about relationships with those who don't know Christ. 
We are working, as we've been talking about, this whole spring about making God space, making space so that we can speak about spiritual things with those that that don't know Him. And maybe one of the things that's been most disconcerting to me is the number of folks that have said, well, you know, I don't have any friendships with non-Christians. Okay, go make some. That's like a victim mentality to the nth degree. That's how we've lo- that was maybe the first sign to me that we've lost the sense that we are to be offensive, that we're to be out there. Now, we're out there with love and gentleness and humility. We're not out there beating people over the head. So we are offensive in a very non-offensive way. But we're intentional about relationships with non-Christians. Again, God's the one building the church. We're simply living and sharing our story with Jesus, with them. We are a church without walls, but a solid foundation. So it means necessary for us to be then low and offensive is to be grounded in Christ, in His Word, in our community around His Word, to be offensive in prayer and the intentionality of relationships with those that don't know Him. The session, the church, those that are they're called and directed, that have been elected by you and called by God to lead us, have recognized that it's, the last couple years, the, even the session has been defensive. You know, we've been back on our heels, sort of backpedaling reacting to numbers, decline in attendance or decline in budget instead of responding to the grace and power of Jesus Christ and continuing to be offensive. And I ask you to be in concerted prayer for the session in these next several months as they really seek to hear from God and pursue how do we stop being defensive as a leadership of the church and be offensive So that we as a community are offensive according to that leadership. You'll be hearing more about that in the ensuing weeks and months to come. The picture of the church is one, though, of an offensive lineman. Low and offensive. Grounded in Christ. But intentional intentional in in relationships and ministries and actions that are about His good news, that are about His, His good works, and all the while celebrating Him no matter what the circumstances. We as a church are to be low and offensive, not to be characterized by fear, but knowing just as Jesus told Peter, he tells us that his church centered on him will not be defeated and will indeed have the very power of heaven. Amen.